Welcome to Crate Digging, a podcast about record collections and their collectors. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, the music and creative associate for the soundtrack. On this episode, we have Zachary Gray, who is the lead singer and guitarist for the indie rock band The Zolas. The band got start out in Vancouver, British Columbia, and have since put out three full-length records and have been dropping a lot of singles in the past year, uh, and a bit including songs like Another Dimension with Cadence Weapon and Let It Scare You, among others. Zach, thank you so much for joining me today, and let's flip through your collection. I would love to. I haven't been through these in a little while, actually. Oh, interesting. Uh, so then this is exciting. There's both of us going on the same journey at the same time. Uh, I guess I'll start with the first question is, do you know approximately how big uh, your collection is? Yeah, it's pretty much it's exactly one shelf worth, Dakota. It's about 100. Okay, that, that's a so, good number. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would ever want to burst any higher than that. Like I, To be honest, I only really listen to... Mm, 15 of them i think <laughs> the rest the rest are just uh keeping the other ones cozy i guess <laughs> they they don't like to be alone so that's a that's a good thing true <laughs> they they seem to pick up friends pretty easily actually especially shitty ones <laughs> the the shittier the record the the more needy it is <laughs> it needs to join your collection because it's only two bucks <laughs> well that's good to know uh i'm curious when did you uh first start collecting records uh, I never started. I basically just, when I moved out of my parents' house, I stole their, the ones that I liked the look of. I kind of had an idea for myself that if I was going to live in my own apartment, well, <clears throat> a shared house actually, um, that it would be sweet to have a record player and, uh, and put on records. I'm not really sure what makes us want to do that other than just like some sort of romantic notion that we get from like i don't know hollywood like what told us that we should get into records dakota like a great question and and maybe that's one i'm I'm trying to explore with with doing all these different interviews for me i guess it's this you know let's take your band, for example, the Zolas, you know, if I, I'm your mm-hmm. number one fan, I, I go to your show, I pick up the record and I go, this is amazing. This is, this is a, a physical proof in a very digital world that we live in. Now I have what's basically a 12 by 12 copy of, of your hard work. I love the artwork on it. You know, I could flip through it. You got some liner notes in there. Uh, and then th- that sort of physical intimacy you get when you have to physically take it out of your shelf and, and pull the record out and very delicately put it on, on the platter and lift the needle up and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. For me, it sound, it feels like you have this very intimate connection with the product and it's not just a, a passive experience. Definitely. But I'm kind of wonder if the whole romance of that was marketed to us, not, not by like marketers. Cause they, I don't think that the, like the used record industry is, uh, has any like serious marketing pull, but I wonder if there was like, a mo- like one particular movie or, or maybe it was just a, bu- a lot of movies. Like we've all seen movies where people put records on and they, and in those movies, those people are dressed cool and, and the room is full of smoke and we're like, yeah, that'd be sweet to be like, to be in that situation. Would you say maybe something like high fidelity? Yeah. But is he, is he about records in that? Yeah. He, well, or is he about, cause it's 2000, right? It is, but he does work at a record store. Where they sell records records, or are they selling cassettes and CDs? Oh, it's been a little while since I've seen it, so I can't comment for sure, but I thought it was records. Maybe. I don't know. 
I don't know. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. I wish we could have someone call in and tell us. I obviously high fidelity is uh, is pretty high on the list of of um I don't know like music fetishist porn movies where where or I guess just like the the sort of seeds of his, hipsterism that has to do with uh, with collecting records or at least like appreciating music. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those movies that when you watched it when you were young you like just it just felt so right on. And then you watch it a little later and then you go like, he says some stuff in there that, that honestly like sounds, there's this one, remember his slogan is like, it's not what you're like, it's what you like. And which at the time was like, seemed like such a cool line. And now I'm like, wow, what a, what a horrible, that's like, that's as bad as greed is good (laughs) from wall street. Like that's, just such a horrible, weird, like perverted, somehow like somehow kind of like right wing way of way of looking at it, where it's just like you can you can just like acquire a personality by just by starting to appreciate things, and it doesn't matter whether you're a good person or if you're funny or whether you're if you just like. I think it led to a a, a lot of like misplaced personalities mm-hmm. where where people people idolize people who could talk about records or talk about obscure movies and, and, uh, and in a lot of cases talk over the people that they were, they were talking to like just as a, as like a, a status, a status move. Anyway, I don't know how we got to talk about this. I have, I have a bunch of records and I, um, I stole most of them from my parents. That, that's where I got my base. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, I've collected a few since then. Um, over the years. And I, I, I quite like my little collection the, though. I, like I said before, like if I lost about 50 of them, if I chose the right 50, I'd be perfectly happy. <laughs> now, hopefully enough time has passed from, from when you stole these records from your parents, but are you able to, uh, to sort of out yourself a bit of which ones you ended up taking from that collection? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely pruned their collection. I, it's, it's funny cause I pruned it twice. I pruned it once when I was moving out. So I, w- I moved out late cause I was just like in a band and on tour and no reason to move in- to pay rent. So I was living with my parents until I was 27. So I pruned it all at 27 and then like not that long ago, maybe like, well, yeah, a while ago. Yeah. Like five years after that, I went back and like looked through the record collection again. And suddenly like my taste had changed enough that I was into new records that I totally passed over before. So like a bunch of the jazz stuff, I wasn't interested in my dad was a bit of a jazzer. So there was like Charles Mingus and Coltrane stuff that I had no interest in. And then um, I still don't know if I have interest in it, but I want to, I want to explore that. I, the idea of that. So I, I picked it up. I stole from them again. This is still, we're still talking about the, the seed, the seed, sort of load of my um well, that sounds dirty uh of, of my collection so yeah it's still it was still just my parents stuff interesting which is all 60s it's all sorry i should describe it it's mostly 60s music so it's like billy holiday it's a lot of a lot of records that you can pick up for really cheap like billy holiday and yeah some of those jazz guys like uh charles mingus is eric clapton which i could throw this in the garbage right now um uh i'm part of a uh a growing group of people who love to make fun of eric clapton um 
there's West Side Story. Actually, I think I bought West Side Story, the uh, the soundtrack to the play or the sh- or the movie, which I really like. Um, and yeah, it's, and like Beatles stuff, a bit of Stones, just sort of your classic ubiquitous records that was in every boomers collection. So I just picked a bunch of all the boomer stuff that kind of like has become evergreen. I stole. <laughs> so and even the Smiths. I got a Smiths record here that I think just. My parents were just hip enough at the very tail end of the uh, 70s that they picked up a Smith record in the early 80s. Now, did uh, you ever get in trouble for that, or did they not even notice that this stuff was missing? No, they don't even have turntables. They're just pack rats. So <laughs> so it was. they were more than happy to have me. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you obviously took a bunch of these records from your parents, as you stated there twice. Um, once you started picking up some for yourself, what sort of records were you buying? Were you buying like records of uh, other friends and bands or stuff in your local scene out in BC or, or what were you buying? Yeah. I mean, I have a bunch of records of uh, friend bands, but I sure as hell didn't pay for them. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I think of, I think of my collection as, as uh that's sort of funny i like I, I rarely think of my collection but or and i don't think of it as a collection but if i am to i like the idea that next to all these that it tells a bit of a story like the the bands that were in my scene um at a certain time i mean it's still happening um i have those records and those are those are precious to me so i've got some like rare we are the city records i've got uh what else have i got i've got uh, our friend James Younger, who's uh, in a band called Yukon Blonde, used to be in our band, and he he released a solo record that not enough people heard, but it's so good. It's called Feelin' American. He's a British guy, and in it, in this this record, I wish I could show you the uh, the cover, but he's basically just trying to look like Brian Adams, <laughs> and I love that. I've got a pop record here from our friends in Toronto, a punk band from Toronto. Um, and there's a few, yeah, the, uh, I think the other ones, and then I have a bunch of just my own records, like test pressings and stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah. That's definitely something I'd love to hear more about. Um, we're going to talk, I'm going to ask you some stuff about uh, the Zola's records as well, but as far as your little collection that you have there, is there any that maybe sort of stick out a little bit that have like someone were to flip through and be like, oh, hey, I didn't know you were into these guys or, or whatever it was? Probably. I mean, let me think. I don't know. I don't know what people think of me. Um, so I don't know what would surprise them. But yeah, like, I mean, I love I love the the, the play West or the musical West Side Story. So that's I don't think a lot of people know that. So that's in there. Um. Yeah. What else? I. It's just a lot of like a record is a nice thing to put on and and just keep at low volume while you're talking to friends or having dinner or something like that. For some reason, and then it, it there's something really natural. And here I am over romanticizing it again, but like there's something really natural about like a 20 minute side or like a 15 minute side where you're just listening to that side and then and then. After 15 minutes, you get to choose whether you flip it over or whether you choose something else. And it's just a kind of a nice, a nice sort of mouthful of music. Um, not too much and not too little. And in fact, there was this really cool um, bar in Toronto. I hope it's still around. It was tiny. It's called the Communist, Communist Daughter. And they did this thing 
on on Thursdays or something like that. That was called Decide on the Decide on the B side. And there's a the uh, the guy who ran it. Seriously, this place has like mm, six tables. It's a tiny, tiny bar. Um, and uh, uh, basically, he encouraged people to come on Thursday nights with a record. Only bring one. And so you'd put you'd, you'd everyone would bring a record, and he'd put it in a, a milk crate. And then he would choose one, and then he would play the A side. And then when that A side finished, he would stop the music. He'd get everyone's attention, and he said, and he would describe a little bit about what you just listened to, and he would ask everybody um, whether they wanted to um, to vote on whether they would like to listen to side B or they want to move to something else, and uh, and then the the small quorum of people at the bar would would talk to each other and and decide whether they wanted to move on or to listen to the the, the B side, and I, I just thought that that's such a cool celebration of records. And I would love to do the exact same thing someday at a place in town when we can all be in tiny cl- uh, clubs again or tiny bars rather. Well, that sounds really cool. I've definitely heard of, of bars that will like let people bring in their own records to play, but the way that's set up, it seems really cool. And based on my quick Googling uh, so far, uh, the communist daughter is still open uh, for business. Nice. Thank you for a quick Google. I love that. I love, I love the immediate production value yeah well that definitely sounds like uh, a type of place that i would definitely be into uh bringing in some from my collection too yeah yeah and things he's what's cool about him is that he's just the right type of guy that you'd kind of want to you want to bring something that he would that would tickle him because mm. he's got good taste and um and sort of weird and particular taste so so you you know you wouldn't bring in like a Doors record, I guess. Even though no, as much as I love the Doors, you would um, you want I would want to bring something that I like, but also that that he would like grin at and choose because at some point he's he's the one who chooses the next whatever the next record if it gets passed to. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, do you have any from your collection that you think would be a good fit for for a night like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so some of my favorite records, I think um, this this isn't '60s, but uh, there's a Cocteau Twins record that I have called for, called Heaven or Las Vegas. That was a gift from my friend. I think from my friend Kane in We Are the City. Um, he gave me this Cocteau Twins record, and it is the fucking best. It's it's a unbelievably atmospheric record and pretty catchy and. Cocteau Twins, I feel like, are are kind of overlooked as uh, as sort of some of the one of the greatest bands of the '80s. I assume that they're from the '80s because there's a lot of gated reverb on that record. I'd bring that, or uh, what else? I don't know what this. See, I could, one of my favorite records is just a Jefferson Airplane record. It's in incredibly good condition, considering that it was my mom's, and um, it's Surrealistic Pillow. It's one of their early ones, and it's an awesome record to put on, but if I brought that, there's no way he'd pick it because it's such a basic bitch choice. <laughs> um, and uh, that's not the point of that of that night. Um, actually, you know what I think I'd bring? And I don't know what he'd think about this, but um, there was a record that I was given from my friend Paul called um, Histoire de Melody Nelson by Serge Gainsbourg. Oh. Um, I don't know if you know much about Serge Gainsbourg, but 
I like to call him like the Leonard Cohen of France. Um, although he, it's more like Leonard Cohen's the Serge Gainsbourg of Canada. <laughs> um, he wrote very sort of sort of s- s- smoky, sexy party music during his good years, and then he he went off the rails so hard that a lot of his music is totally unlistenable. It's kind of like the Clash that way. Like there's actually that, that's kind of not fair to him. He has so many records, and the, the back half is pretty brutal. But the the top half, it, you can listen to any record. He started off as like a lounge singer, a French lounge singer in the in the fifties, and then in the sixties he became like this this pop producer and writer. And he wrote all the sort of biggest French pop hits at the time. And then he got into just sort of atmospheric, um, I don't know what you call it, but it's he's basically just speaking poetry in a in a low voice mm-hmm. the entire record with one of the one of the sort of heaviest bands in new york because yeah he was just such a he was such a slut he would just go to a sit to a city that he thought was cool and he would find the absolute best um band th- that exists and then uh he would make a record with them so he did that in new york and he ended up with this record he did that in um in Kingston, Jamaica once. And that record's fucking terrible. Cause he was pretty old and coked out at the time. But, um, uh, but yeah, that's what I'd bring. Eastwald de Melanie Nelson by Serge Gainsbourg. It's one of the sexiest records of all time. Although it, yeah, it would get awkward. Cause there's, there's a song where, um, his girlfriend, whose name was, Oh my God. I don't know why she's extremely famous. I don't know why I can't remember. Oh, Jane Birkin. His girlfriend Jane Birkin, um, who sings in it, she like fakes orgasm for like mm, almost three minutes. <laughs> so that would be a bit awkward, but I think it'd be fun. Those sound like two really interesting choices. I, I'm a big fan of the Cocteau Twins. It's been a while since I've listened to them, so that's uh, jogging me to to make sure I, I put that on soon. Uh, and I and I, oh, yeah. I only know Serge like from a couple of his like bigger hits, but uh, I think that would yeah. probably go over pretty well uh, at a bar like that. Oh man, yeah. Pick any any sort of first half surge record. It really doesn't matter. They're all, they're pretty different, but um, they're all incredible. Interesting. He he would be that. He is um yeah one of the one of the sleaziest men um, of the twentieth century. Though <laughs> it must be said. Now, if my information is correct, you have released all three of your albums on vinyl, along with uh, your EP, You're Too Cool, and a split 7-inch that you did with uh, Liptonians. Oh, my God. Do you own copies of all of your records? Uh, no, no, I don't. Um, I actually have almost none of them in here right now. Um, I have access to them, uh, but I do not have any of them here, no. I think at some point I, w- I would like to get them, just in case... Just in case I um, decide to like burn down my, well, actually that didn't work. I decided to burn down my whole life and move to Vietnam or something. I would probably like to have those records, but no, I don't have them. Now you sounded surprised when I mentioned the split seven inch. Is that something that uh, doesn't come up very often? It's a very easy one to forget. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Our record label is just very game to do fun things. And um our, our, the guy who runs our label, Jonathan, is, is such a music lover to his own detriment sometimes. He'll, he's just stoked to do anything that he, that he would think was cool when he was 20. He wants to do now. He wants to like put out weird compilations and he wants to put out 
split EPs and and um, it's almost like he doesn't know that people don't buy music anymore. Um, <laughs> but he he knows it very well, but he just doesn't care. This is what he likes to do. It's his mm-hmm. that's his creative outlet. Now, are uh, are either you or your bandmate Tom involved with any of the decision making for the pressings that you have put out? Actually, Tom hasn't been in the band for about four, ye- three, three years, maybe. I, I'm very sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. He's not dead, thank God. Um, but uh, yes, me and and uh, Cody and Dwight are the uh, core of the band now. But what do you mean by pressing? Well, as far as like the the record pressings go, so uh, I like I know how Ancient Mars came out on a on a red and black swirl vinyl. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The color. Totally. I mean, we could choose. We could. He gives it. The, our label gives us as much sort of freedom as we want. For me personally, I like to make sure that um, that people can afford to buy the thing. So if you know, if you if you press on a super heavy on a super heavy platter and you put too much shit around it. Yes. It's an amazing thing to buy, but it to, to make any money at all, you'd have to sell it for 50 bucks and nobody needs that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm pretty economical when it comes to that, but, uh, colors don't cost much. So yeah, you got to get a fun color. That's cool. At your, uh, live shows, do you find uh, a lot more people these days wanting to buy your records? Honestly, I forget what a live show is like. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can't remember. I cannot remember. Uh, no, I have to assume that that um, people are buying fewer of them now. I feel like the the vinyl craze, the sort of vinyl revival, is has sort of gone di- it's dived back into a niche realm. Whereas for a moment, it sort of seemed like it might become. It was a bit mainstream for a while. Um, I don't think that like 20 year old kids are collecting records much anymore when our last record, I mean, it it changes so fast. Like, uh, when our last record came out, which is three years ago, more than three years ago, actually. Yeah. There was a lot like loads of 20, 20 year olds were the only people buying the records. So, um, I really, I'm curious when we put out a new record, like who's gonna, who's gonna buy it? What kind of like, obviously are the people who love our band, already are going to buy it but um i'm curious about what sort of marginal fans are going to want to buy yeah that's definitely going to be curious once once things start to return back to normalcy yeah but like i mentioned at the top of the show you guys are originally from british columbia now i believe you're you're based in, in toronto but i'd love to know if you have any maybe favorite record stores either here or back at home no we're still based in vancouver um oh, we uh yeah yeah no uh of course i do there's a there's a a, a legendary record store um, two two blocks from my house, three blocks from my house called Zulu Records. And um, it's one of the older ones. Uh, is it one of the, it's got to be one of the oldest ones, um, which doesn't, isn't saying much because uh, Vancouver has a lot of turnover. I think it was founded in the eighties and, but before that it was another record store. So that, that store has existed for, many decades and um it's run by a um such a cool guy named named grant um i forget his last name it's it's mick something but um grant is a uh in the in the 80s he was that kid you know you go to a concert and you see that kid who 
like you go to a punk show or something and you see that kid who isn't dressed punk at all and is kind of too young to be there. <laughs> um, and then you realize that that kid goes to every single show like that in the, in that, that comes out. That was him. And so he has, he was a fly on the wall during um, a really sort of legendary time in the Vancouver music scene when punk was huge. He was, he was really into punk music, but he was also just like into whatever. And, um, and so he has all sorts of great stories about, um, about the big punk bands that came out of Vancouver and a lot of whom have been sort of forgotten by time in time, but some of whom have survived. We saw there was a punk band called DOA in the seventies that were really huge. And, um, and when you grow up in Vancouver, I think a lot of people kind of forget that they were, that DOA was huge, but they actually played at a festival we played at a couple years ago and they were still amazing. They were so good. Anyway, so yeah, Grant runs that record store. It's called Zulu. They have lots of in-store concerts, um, or they did and will again. Uh, <laughs> and it's a it's a very it's a it's a great place to go. I like to just walk by, and and even when I don't plan to buy anything, I like to just go say hi. Oh, that's awesome to hear that. In fact, you know what? He he's so cool. We had um, this uh, Boxing Day. Um, so in December, the end of December, we wanted to sell, we had a new t-shirt drop and we wanted to be able to give our fans a chance to buy our, our records. And there's something, it's so annoying, like paying for shipping for records is such a pain in the ass because it's like, it's like half the price of the record if you're lucky. Um, so we were like, I think local fans would like to buy it. So we wanted to do a little pop-up shop and he let us do a little like no contact pop-up shop in the back of their store in the like loading bay of their store. Um, and it was, uh, that's the kind of like community hub that Zulu can be if people just, uh, if people just get involved. That's awesome. Do you, do you believe that what makes a good record store is one that really is connected with the community? For sure. For sure. I mean, I think that record stores are, are definitely, uh, it, it, I think they are undergoing a a transition or or like an existential reimagining because um, even if people aren't buying physical music anymore, we still the 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 sort of role that record stores failed in 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 the culture um, is one that we still need, and so uh, so I don't know. I think it's going to take a lot of creativity, but. Um, uh, but I, I think that record stores, obviously it's exactly what you said. Like they, yeah, they have to be a part of the community. They have to know a lot of musicians. They have to be there, be there to offer a space for a small band that has like 10 fans to play a little in the store and maybe have 20 people come and listen to them. Um, they have to, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's totally something that I'm sure every record store owner has been thinking about. Um, which is like, as people, as fewer and fewer, fewer people buy physical music, um, how can we still be, be, how can we still do what we do? Um, and, uh, and keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. And so, no, it's something we should, we all should think of. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure how to, 
I do. I think it's it's going to be like event based, and I'm not sure. It, it t- definitely t- will take a lot of engagement. Like it would be extremely cool if if you know when a when a band or a, an artist comes to the city that they they have an appearance at a record store or something, um, and that might be it's basically just like a merch table where you go mm-hmm. people who weren't at the concert or or were at the concert and want to and didn't buy what they wanted to buy they they can go and meet the artist and maybe they'll play something real quick and buy records directly from them. And um, yeah, it's uh, that would be a cool model, but you can't do that for everything. So it's just like, that's something that I would love to think about more. Well, yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. And hopefully record stores can kind of figure out a way to, to adapt to make sure that they're able to, to keep people coming in because it's, it's always a shame when you get like these local community hubs for, for people that love music and they, and they can't make it work for whatever reason it is. Yeah. I mean, I think we learned from this pandemic that like, yeah, we can, we, when you love something, you can find your people online who, um, mm-hmm. who love it too. And you can share it with them online. Um, but that's no way to live. Um, they're, those aren't the people that are going to be like, <laughs> I don't know, at the hospital when you get hit by a car. <laughs> but the people yeah. that you meet, the people that you meet at a record store when when only like five people went to see a singer who's doing an a, an acoustic show, and and you're the only people who care and you you care the most in the world. Those people you're going to meet and and you're going to know them forever. And I see it all mm-hmm. the time. Now, I'm I'm sort of curious. You're talking about how you kind of forget what it's like to actually do a show, but you've released all these singles. What are the band's plans for the rest of 2021? Uh, we're going to keep putting out a single every month, I think. Um, we have a, an album coming out in June. Uh, so we have another song coming out in a couple weeks, on the 14th or something. We, we I try to release everything on, on the second day of every month because I like how twos look like Zeds. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but this time it didn't work out. I think the two was on a was on a Sunday and you, or some day that it's not convenient to uh, release music. So, um, so it's going to be the I think the fourteenth. But I actually could be wrong about that. Anyway, um, new song, new video coming out, and then uh, in June um, our record comes out, um, and it's going to be a nice uh, deluxe edition. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's it. And then, but then I think. Our our goal and what we like to what gets us excited is the idea of releasing this record and then um, and then almost like Life of Pablo style just keep adding to it and obviously we wouldn't be like <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be uh, revising the record but I I want to keep I want to keep making music um, m- making singles that will maybe I guess turn into the next record or like the then the new record's called Come Back to Life. So maybe maybe by the beginning of 2022, we'll have Come Back to Life Part 2 or something. Mm-hmm. You're, you're putting me in this rabbit hole of remembering of like when Kanye put that record out, just people <laughs> microanalyzing, oh my God, the, the wolves on this, on this track is slightly different than the other. The edit is slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I had the good sense not to do that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that's kind of a lot even for like a, a really passionate fan that's a lot to like really be invested in yeah yeah you really have to you have to have kanye level um appreciation for kanye to um yeah. 
You have to you have to love Kanye as much as Kanye loves Kanye in order to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think anyone does. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I know we're kind of still in the middle of the pandemic, but have you started talking about some sort of a tour, whether it's just loose ideas or trying to figure something out? I know nothing is concrete, obviously, at this point. We do. We have we have holds in Canada for um for the late fall. Uh, so as much as I, um, always hesitate to tour when the snow is starting to fall on this great nation of ours, um, having, um, having been at home for an entire year definitely makes that sound a lot more attractive than it ever has before. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, it's going to be a a little bit of a, of a, um, of a re, (laughs) And we're going to lose our virginities again. You know, like the first time you drive across the country, you do not care what the, what the uh, weather is. You're just so excited to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then once you've done it like six times, well, I mean, honestly, once you've done it three times, then you start to be more practical about it. But once you've done it six times, then you start to pick what seasons you want to do it in. Uh, but I'm back to not caring. <laughs> <laughs> so assuming when everyone is like fully vaccinated and, and, we're all completely safe. Are like the Zola show is going to be just absolute madness, the sweatiest, craziest shows you've ever done? I think so. Although honestly, like like so many bands, I um, because I have not been able to see them face to face, I feel incredibly alienated from the people that love our music. So I think a lot of us, and it doesn't really matter what your profile is. Like I, I'm sure everyone feels a. Um, a wonder of like, are people going to give a shit when we start to act like are going to, are people going to pick up and be, are people going to show up? I don't know. <laughs> like I know the, the side the rational side of my brain knows that we will, that people will show up and we'll sell out, we'll sell out shows and stuff. But, um, but another side is, it's like, I, I can't even picture it because uh, it's been so long. So yeah, I mean, when we get there, when we play shows, um, and uh and we see that lineup around the the corner like normal we um i think that's gonna get us i think we're gonna forget all about this year well i think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised because i think people are gonna be dying to get into concerts and not just have the time of their lives after this last year and a half however long it's gonna end up being of yeah i know i will locked in your house (laughs) i know i will damn yeah it's true i mean um yeah, I, I'll go. I'll go to anything. I think I'm going to be the kind of person who just goes into any any show. Yeah, be, no, I, to, I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, what's the best place that people can can follow the band? Whether it's following along with news that uh, about new singles that you're dropping, or, or just the best way to interact with you guys? It's a good question. I'm trying to I'm trying to escape Instagram, and I haven't done anything to do that yet. But um, and so I think Instagram is still the best place to to reach us. But um. But uh, definitely uh, follow us knowing that uh, the goal, the ultimate goal is to um, not, you know, basically like to, to, to do anything in Instagram, you basically have to work a part-time job for Instagram in creating clicks. <laughs> I'm sure you're aware, I'm sure you're aware of what the algorithm does to um, mm-hmm. small businesses. So, um, so I'm not interested in that anymore. And I would, I'd rather have a more direct uh uh, a direct relationship also just like how how dumb is is their interface like can you believe that that people still have link in bio 
can like can you believe that Lincoln Bio still exists? Like something's something's rotten with any platform that could do anything and chooses to make it impossible for people to to put mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's my rant against uh, against Instagram. But yeah, that's still the best place to do it. I'm I'm gonna be setting up. Um, I have really big plans for for people who love our music. Um, it's always it's been a real interesting journey to try to try to envision how to use social media in a way that would be fun and not a chore. Um, and, um, and I think I figured it out, but, uh, I haven't announced it yet. So awesome. Give us a follow on Instagram and, uh, and come along for the ride. I feel like I'm getting the pre scoop here. I love that. You are, you are getting a pre scoop. (laughs) Well, Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today about your records and uh, the upcoming plans that uh, you and the rest of the guys have. And I'm, I'm so excited to hear whatever new music you have coming out. Thanks a lot, Dakota. This is a great, uh, I really like the format of this, uh, this podcast. This is fun. Well, great. Yeah. I just got to keep it casual. This wraps up this episode of Crate Digging. Make sure to visit the soundtrack.ca for more great content. Let me know what you're currently spinning. Make sure you're subscribed to the show to listen right when the needle drops. Crate Digging is produced by Gemma Mastriani and Dakota Arsenault is a soundtrack production. Music is by Jared Burke, graphic design by Stephanie Pryor. Thanks for checking us out.